want to read a passage of scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. All of us have been refreshed by the rain and our state has and we thank God for that. And uh, I was thinking of refreshment. And I want to read a passage of scripture that Paul wrote, beginning with the 13th verse of the 16th chapter. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus, Stephanus was the first converts in Acacia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labor at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Acacius arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. May God make each of us as his people and us as a church a source of refreshment, spiritual refreshment upon a world that is as thirsty for the water of life as our land has been thirsty for the waters of heaven. Let's pray for that as we join our hands and our hearts together to pray. Lord, we do thank you for the rain from heaven to refresh the earth, to refresh the flowers and the trees and the grass and people and their spirits. Lord, we thank you for the rain of your spirit that has been falling, the mercy drops of grace that have been pelting down in the life of our church and in the lives of people who have come to know the water of life and the grace of God that becomes within them a fountain of water exploding up, flowing up into an everlasting spring. And so, Father, refresh all of us here today. I'm refreshed by the presence of these people. Just being here lifts my spirit. We hold each other's hands because we all need to be held. And each hand needs to represent the fact that you ultimately are holding us. And so we thank you and we praise you. We pray for anybody here today, Lord, who needs a special touch of refreshment in their lives who are discouraged or depressed or lonely feeling a sense of meaningless in life God bless them and refresh them pour out the waters of your grace upon us today and may our hearts be bathed by your spirit for this is our loving prayer in the loving name of Jesus Christ our Savior Amen good to be with you this morning all of you and we still have a lot of children who are coming to church. This is their second Sunday for a lot of them who are here for the first time as they've reached that uh, age of accountability when you, uh, when you graduate to big church. And I need to keep a promise, which I want to do. Uh, I promised uh, Avery and Julia, our two granddaughters who are here, that I would wave at them in this service. So Avery and Julia, I'm waving at you, and I'm glad you're here. Okay, God bless you both. While Tommy was singing in the earlier service, I thought of that marvelous giant of the 20th century, I think probably the greatest man of our century, Winston Churchill, uh, who was uh, in his declining years invited to speak to Harrow Boys School. 
Uh, if you've not heard the story, it will encourage you. If you have heard it, it will refresh you again. Uh, and they asked him to speak uh, at a graduation event at uh, the boys' school where he'd gone as a young man. And uh, so the venerable Sir Winston Churchill came after an introduction, the place packed and jammed not only with students but with parents and grandparents and friends, as you can imagine. And he stood up and he said this, Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never. And he sat down. Never give up. Before church this morning, in the earlier service, two people stopped me. One to relay a problem of family concern, significant magnitude. Another person stopped to talk about a personal concern, a private concern in their, in their own lives. And as I look out upon this wonderful sea of faces, and, and I look into my own heart and into the hearts of many of you whom I know, uh, all of us need to be reassured of the fact that uh, God is on our side. God is with us. As John Henry Jowett, the great preacher, once said, there's a broken, at least one broken heart in every pew. Maybe yours today. But God has a word for you. When times get bad, as they did for the children of Israel on many occasions, God showed up. The city of Jerusalem was being surrounded by hostile forces, Sennacherib, and the powerful Assyrian army, 185,000 or more, had encamped around Jerusalem. They were the scourge of the earth. They had defeated the Phoenicians and the Philistines and the Egyptians. And here they were surrounding Jerusalem. Hezekiah the king, Isaiah the prophet. And Hezekiah and all of the people were terrified of what might happen to them. The city was going to fall. All of the people would be captured or killed. And so Isaiah, the great princely aristocratic prophet that he was, said some words to the children of God that their Lord would deliver them. If you want to read that marvelous account, you'll find it in 2 Kings, the 18th and 19th chapters. And this psalm that I'm reading to you this morning and speaking about for a few moments grew out of that event, that significant event in the life of of the children of Israel. And I do not know what may be encamping around your life today. I don't know how, what Shennacherib is in your life today. It may be a physical problem. In the hospital yesterday, and people this week have just gotten devastating news of severe illness. I mean, it can happen with a phone call, can't it? One phone call can change your life 180 degrees. One pain in the middle of the night can alter your plans for months, even years. So we are encamped about with all kinds of Shennacheribs and Assyrians that would do us harm. And I don't know who those are in your life or what those are in your life. But all of us have them in varying degrees, do we not? And at varying times. 
Isaiah said, you trust in God and he will deliver you. They thought they might get some help from some other sources. There is a terrible peril of misplaced trust that can grow into any of our hearts and lives. That we begin to look for alternative solutions to our problems without first consulting God. Too often we look at God through our problems rather than looking at our problems through God. Isaiah said, now you begin with God. For they were tempted to try to get some allies, like from uh, Egypt. Though Egypt had already been defeated uh, by the Assyrians, uh, Shennacherib was taunting, uh, the spokesman for Shennacherib was taunting the people of God, saying, oh, you're going to try to go down to Egypt and to get uh, some help from them. And Isaiah, in that great verse of Scripture, in the 31st chapter of Isaiah, the first and second verses, he said this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Egypt, a symbol of slavery. Egypt, a symbol of sin. Egypt, throughout the Bible, a symbol of privation and, and persecution. Woe to them who go down to Egypt for help, who trust in horses because they are many, and chariots because they are very strong, and they ignore the Lord God of Israel, the Holy One, the Lord Himself. Isaiah said, you put God first. Put God first in your life. And this psalm grew out of this catastrophic experience in the lives of the children of Israel. They listened to Isaiah, the people of God did in that day. They listened to him saying, trust in God, put your faith in God, trust in him and God will deliver you. And he did. They waked up one morning and they looked out and 185,000 of those Assyrian troops were dead on the hills, died of a plague or whatever caused by God and they were delivered. The people of God were delivered from their external enemies and God will deliver you from whatever external enemies may be encamping around your heart and life or home or business or whatever today. Listen to this psalm, great psalm 46. God begins with God. You better begin every sentence with God. Begin every day with God. Begin every prayer with God. So often we look upon him as the last resort. Don't wait until we're down to the end of the row. Start the day with God. God, he said, is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Notice these three words. I wish we had time to dissect each one of these and look at them carefully. God is our refuge. In other words, he is our fortress. This psalm, Psalm 46, was the favorite psalm of two great men in the church's history, Martin Luther and John Wesley. This psalm is the psalm that inspired Luther to write, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. He will protect us from external enemies. But he is also our strength. He will get inside of us. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he will get inside of us. He will strengthen us internally as well as protect us externally. <coughs> Um, <clears throat> I need uh, uh, the strength of the Lord inside of me uh, right now. And I don't say that facetiously. I've been having some trouble with my throat. Martha knows how this has distressed me and it really bothered me during the night and for the last number of days for that matter. And I'm getting some help uh, for it, but... Uh, I thought this morning, driving down to church, Paul's statement, 
I said, Lord, I don't know how to be able to talk or not. I don't know how it'll come out. So I just, I really do need you, God. I really do need your help. And I thought of what Paul wrote. He said, when I'm weak, when I'm weakest, then I'm strong. Because my weakness is made perfect in his strength. So whatever God says to you today, through laryngitis or coughs or colds or whatever it might be, God takes our weakness and uses it for something strong in our lives. God is our strength. And he is an ever-present help in trouble. Aren't you glad that God never, never goes to sleep? The Bible says it. He never sleeps. He never even takes a nap. Never slumbers nor sleeps. That's what it says. God is always on your side. God is with you. God is your refuge. He is your strength. He is your ever-present help in trouble. He just cannot emphasize that enough. He's trying to use a superlative there to say you just can't get God off your hands. He is there with you. Call upon him. Let him help you. He has resources beyond yours. Turn him loose in your life and let him work through you. And he will give you that inner strength and he will be with you in the time of trouble. Therefore, you'll not be afraid. Ever been afraid? Surely we have. Fear of the future, fear of the past, unknown fears that come erupting out of our subconscious mind that we cannot put a name to. God is your refuge. He is your strength. And he is your ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, don't be afraid. We will not fear. Though the earth give way, though everything around us just collapses, though all the world comes apart, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Can you imagine what a catastrophic event that would be? Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Let everything out there happen. You will not fall. I will be your refuge. I will be your strength. I will be your ever-present help in trouble. No Shanachrib will bring you down. Because I will always lift you up. So God is our protector and our defender. Begin each day with him. Every now and then during the middle of the day, facing problems, business problems, decisions that just flood in upon us. God help me. God help me. I love the prayer by Lord Acton who was getting ready to go into battle many years ago, an Englishman. He said, Dear Lord, thou knowest how busy I am going to be today. If I do it all, forget thee. I pray thee, forget me not. He's not going to forget you. Call upon him and I will answer you. He said, call upon me. I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you've never known. Just ask me. Why don't you ask, he said. He said, you have not because you ask not. Just ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Just ask. And then he says, I will be your companion. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He's come to refresh us. The passage of Scripture we read earlier from 1 Corinthians, Paul talking about the people who refreshed him. 
My dear friends in this church, there's nothing that our city needs more than spiritual refreshment. We've been praying for physical refreshment, and aren't we grateful to God for the rains that have come? But even more than we need that, we need to be sources of refreshment to people's lives in this city who are dying for the water of life. There's souls all about us whose spirits are in a drought. And you can refresh them with a cup of cold water, the water of life. My, the incredible, incomparable power of refreshment to refresh one another. A river. He says, I will even be not only a river, I will be within you a spring of water bubbling up into everlasting life. I'll make of you a perennial spring of refreshment that will wash away all of your fears and troubles and will spill out on a thirsty world and help hungry, thirsty hearts. God is within her. She will not fall. You're not going to fall. You may slip. You may stumble. Look at Psalm 37, verses 23 to 26. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, controlled by the Lord. Though he should fall... He will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. We're all going to stumble sometime. We're all going to slip sometime. But we're not going to fall. God is not going to let us go under any more than he let Simon Peter go under in the tumultuous waves that were engulfing him as he walked on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. And he started under and cried, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out. And who got a hold of whom? Jesus got a hold of Simon Peter and held him up. I don't need to do the holding. God does the holding. Yesterday for a little while we went by and and I saw our two grandchildren, Julia and Avery. And Avery, uh, I mean Avery and Megan. Megan Megan is three years old. And she wanted me to go out in the backyard and push her on the swing. We started out in the backyard and she said, Bo, there are ant beds out here and I want to hold your hand so that I will not step in the ant beds. Well, you know what? I did not let Megan hold my hand when we went out to watch out for the ant beds. Why? Because if she were holding my hand and stepped in an ant bed, you know what she'd do? She'd turn loose quicker than a flash of lightning to get down there to try to get rid of those ants. But if I'm holding her hand and she steps in an ant bed, what am I going to do? We didn't step in one, fortunately. But if she had, what would I have done? I held her hand. I'd have pulled her up. God's not going to let you step in some ant bed that's going to poison your life. He's holding you. He's got you in the palm of his hand. And Jesus said, nobody can pluck them out of my hand. No power on earth, no power in hell below can pull you out of the hand of God. Nowhere. 1978. I was preaching in Yugoslavia in a beautiful farm community named Baki Petrovac. I'd been in Yugoslavia. I'd spoken there on five different occasions. That's where I first met John David Hopper. I spent a week there with John David Hopper and Yanda Woodfin. At the time, Dr. Hopper was teaching at the seminary in Rushikon. 
and uh, Yonder Woodfin, professor of philosophy of religion at Southwestern Seminary and a classmate of mine at Baylor and a dear friend. They had a, a week-long uh, conference on evangelism for pastors in Yugoslavia, and they came all over Yugoslavia. There were 50 or more pastors there, and Yando uh, spoke on the theology of evangelism, and John David spoke on the history of evangelism, being a church historian, and they had me there to speak on the preaching of evangelism and the practice of evangelism. So I got to know a lot of Baptist pastors uh, in Yugoslavia and all the troubles that are going on there now just tear at my spirit because I don't know what's happened to some of those men because of that troubled land. But I was went then on one Sunday up to Baki Petrovac, which means Peter's Garden. It was north of Novi Sad in the Serbian area of, of uh, Yugoslavia. And the Danube flows through there, just beautiful, magnificent. And Peter's Garden is called that because it's so lush and so productive. And I preached in the church there at Baki Petrovac and then went home to have lunch with a deacon in that church uh, who had uh, a wife who was uh, critically ill with a heart ailment, whose mother was living with them, who was bedridden because of her illness. They had one son who was away in school, but they had uh, me and the group that were with us uh, to come to their home for lunch after church. Well, the man, as I noticed, had only one arm. He'd lost his right arm. And he had this lush, beautiful farm. And I, uh, I asked, I said, who helps you with this farm? Uh, he said, well, let me tell you who helps me with this farm. He said, I was farming one day. I was out in the fields, a long way from home, the house. And I got my arm caught in a piece of farm machinery and I could not extricate it and it was tearing my arm apart. He said, I bled so much I passed out. So I yelled at the top of my voice. No one could hear me. And he said, I thought I was going to die. Night came and they knew something had happened. They went to look for him and found him unconscious, mangled arm, took him out, took him to the hospital, then took him to Belgrade to a larger hospital, amputated his arm, Barely saved his life, fortunately saved his life. And he was so devastated, and this was the story he told at the dinner table. He was so devastated by that event. <clears throat> he said, I want to die. He had no insurance. They had no insurance. They had no workman's compensation. They had none of those kind of benefits in, in Yugoslavia. It was just make it on your own or not make it at all. And... He said, how can, I, how can I farm with no right arm? So one night in the middle of the night, he got up on the fourth or fifth floor of the hospital where he was staying. And he said, I was going to jump out of the window and kill myself. I felt that would be the best and only way out of this situation. He said, I got down to the end of the hall and I tried to raise the window. He said, because I only had one arm, I couldn't raise the window. And he said, I went back to bed so discouraged and so depressed I went back to bed and just prayed to God to let me die. I said, God, how can I farm if I don't have a right arm? And he said, God said to me, I heard him in my spirit say to me, I will be your right arm. And he said he has been. 
He said, I get more work done now than I ever did before. The farm is prospering more now than it ever did before. I don't have any help. My son away in school. No one here at the house to help me. He said, but God is my right arm. And I have not failed or fallen. Now, my friend, God's going to be your right arm. God's going to hold you with his right hand. And you are not going to fall. He is going to be your companion. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her, will help you. And then we come to that great seventh verse. It's repeated again in the 11th verse. That's easy to remember, but you need to remember it because it's one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. And here it is. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now let me explain to you why that's such a powerful verse of Scripture. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Not the God of Israel. The God of Jacob. If you know the Bible, you know that Jacob was a trickster, a wheeler dealer. Stole his bro- the birthright. <clears throat> Ripped off his father-in-law. He was a tricky guy. And then he wrestled with God at the brook Jabbok. And God changed him, changed his spirit, and changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now notice what this psalm says, that God is the God of Jacob. God is the God of those of us who failed. God is the God of us, those of us who have sinned, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're not a bunch of sanctified saints. We're a bunch of forgiven sinners. The God of Jacob is with us. The God of people who make mistakes, who've done things in the past they regret. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so then God gives an invitation, as he always does and we always do too, because we're here to preach his message and to extend his invitation, God says, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He destroys all of that that destroys life. He destroys death, for he has swallowed up death in victory. He destroys all of the Sennacheribs. And the encamped Assyrian armies. He invites you to come and to be still and know that I am God. Now I want you just to relax for a moment. Just sit loose. Just be still and know that He is your God. He invites you. He is your refuge, your strength, your help in trouble. He is your constant companion. He will not let you fall. 
Be still. You don't need some alternative help. Our God is able to deliver you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. So can you. So can you. So can you. So can I. Just stop. The Egyptians are not going to help you. Phoenicians are not going to help you. Philistines are not going to help you. God's going to help you. Be still and know that I am God. Most of you know I landed in Nagasaki after the bomb had been dropped on August the 9th, 1945. And the war was over. VJ Day came. Peace was won. But I had no peace inside of me. I'd seen God end the war. He did it. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields. But I was still at war in my heart. Till I went to that little <clears throat> Japanese Methodist church. Began to read the Bible I hadn't read for three years. And just stopped. And believed him. And so let me share this word of testimony to you. If you'll come to him, see him. Stop. Trust him. And he will be the God of deliverance for you. In your imagination, stand with me in 1791 beside the bedside of an 88-year-old man who was dying. He lived in the chapel house, simple little house that I had visited, had been in the room where the man lay dying and where he died. Right next door to a chapel that's seated about three or four hundred people. This 88-year-old man was named John Wesley. They were gathered around him listening for his last words. And the final words to come from the lips of that great reformer, the 11th verse and the 7th verse, of Psalm 46. John Wesley said, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You can go to heaven on that. And you can go to Monday on that. For God is your fortress, strength, refuge, companion, Savior, who wouldn't trust a God like that, who wouldn't want to follow a God like that, who wouldn't want to be a part of a church that endeavors to proclaim a God like this, greater than any words we can say or any song we can sing, is this great God whom we honor and acknowledge and whom we invite you to trust this morning. Would you do it? Or to come be a part of the church, to come for prayer, some did in the earlier service, some came trusting Christ as Savior. Whatever. Be still. 
spend the next few moments in stillness. Don't rush out. Just kind of soak in God for a moment and know that he is God. And as he prompts you to make a decision, come on, I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand and let's sing.